0: The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text the reel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. right and I'm Andy Nelson
1: welcome to the next reel when the movie ends our conversation begins twilight new moon is over I'm not good I used to be not anymore the Volturi
0: are the closest thing my world has to royalty they enforce the law vampires have laws you're a human who knows entirely too much about us they could kill us all you just don't belong in my world Bella.
1: I belong with you
0: this is the last time you'll ever see me please just promise me you won't do anything reckless
1: it's like a huge hole
0: has been punched through my chest
1: I know what he did to you but Bella I would never ever do that
0: There's only one way I know to see him. So, you're an adrenaline junkie now?
1: Hi, Andy. Let's talk about Twilight.
0: First question for you. This was a problem we had with the modern trilogy of Planet of the Apes films. That oh, it started it go- with wow. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then it went to Dawn, and we always felt like it doesn't Dawn come first and then the Rise happens, and so like they they misnamed those two films, <laughs> and I just I just want to check, and I'm not actually sure where we stand on this because it's not really as related, but we have Twilight, uh-huh. this is New Moon, uh-huh. and then we'll have an Eclipse. And then we have Breaking Dawn. <laughs> I, I, I know there's not like a, a linear path between those, because obviously an eclipse is an eclipse, unless we're talking about like
1: a lunar eclipse. But is there... Which is what I, I would have to imagine. It is a lunar eclipse that we are talking about.
0: I, I guess so. But I guess the question is, is there a sense of the, of the way that Stephanie Meyer chose to name the books that somehow creates some sort of thread through this
1: yes would you like to hear my theory
0: i i cannot wait to hear your theory
1: well part of it is i haven't seen or read the last two books (laughs) so this is me making things up the first was twilight and she's like oh i'm gonna make a book about vampires and they're kind of you know creatures of the night but sort of the day it's twilight and they're shiny they come out at night so that's gonna be the name of the book but oh my gosh as i'm writing the book tap 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 tap, i'm stephanie Myers, and i just had an idea and it's now it's going to be werewolves and what are werewolves all about moons and what is this relationship with jacob mcfang face? <gasps> new so now we have new moon because it's mostly about tyler Fangy and and so that's new moon that's all about the new relationship and then eclipse is going to be about whoa we're gonna there's gonna be a lot more conflict between the sun and the moon <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And then Breaking Dawn is everything. Uh, there is a nuclear explosion and everybody dies and nobody knows why. <laughs> but it'll make sense because it's Twilight. I haven't it read all, that one.
0: It all breaks. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> it all breaks. And it ends in a nuclear fire.
1: That's how the <laughs> it's, whole it's, it's essentially, Andy, ends. on the beach, but with vampires and werewolves. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, so, maybe that was the wrong path to
0: start this conversation i think you did
1: i think you did great after watching this movie i think this is exactly the kind of thing we need to be talking about okay here's my thing for you i want to make sure that every time we talk about vampires biting one another we're talking about doing it and that's going to be really important because in this movie bella is just as horny as she was last movie but now all of ed's words family is horny for her So that's a new change. They're horny for her? What are you talking about? They want her to get with Edward. Most of them do. The girls don't, but the boys do. And it's really, I mean, ugh, come on. All right, where do you want to start? We'll get there. There's also the line that
0: is crossed in this film where suddenly several of them can't stop themselves from trying to eat her. Like, that also happens In this particular film, because because one serious paper cut
1: because blood, it ain't no thing. Okay, so right there, she got her period. That's what we're talking about. The girls don't care, but the boys all know she's a woman now. And that's the whole she's come of age right there in the living room. And they all want to get with her.
0: (laughs) That made me think of a film that my health teacher showed us in health <laughs> class back in seventh God, grade. Can
1: we do an episode on that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> about learning about your bodies and things like that. And it was talking about, you know, periods. And I just remember there was a scene at a dining table where the the teenage sister suddenly stops eating and looks down and then looks up and looks at her mom and then runs off to the bathroom, and the little brother goes, "What? What's wrong with her?" <laughs> and the mom says, "Your sister's a woman now."
1: That is Twilight right here. That was, and that was a legit health,
0: health yeah. class film. Oh God! This is why this actually <laughs> in many schools
1: in many schools across Utah they show Twilight as uh, the healing <laughs> as a health video.
0: Oh, yes. So anyway, yeah. So here we are talking about the Twilight Saga, New Moon, new director, also same writer, but Chris Weitz stepped in to uh, to direct this one. And that's interesting, because he is a uh, writer-director who I generally enjoy quite a bit. You know, he, um, uncredited, was a part of the American Pie team and co-directed that. about a Boy, one of my all-time favorites. Very favorite. Uh, and then he kind of made a misstep with The Golden Compass. And then this, which I guess was making up for that mess. And then A Better Life, which was a uh, fantastic, uh, brilliant film and a, a kind of a change. And so definitely somebody... Rogue One. Don't forget Rogue One. Oh, well, I was just talking about specifically the things that he had directed. But uh, yes, he had worked on Rogue One as well. Um, so anyway, it's it's a new direction for the franchise, I guess, although Melissa Rosenberg is still writing the script. So largely, it's still an adaptation of Stephanie Meyer's work, and Chris Weitz is just, I guess, uh, the director in charge. But um, we'll talk about that here in a sec, because I just want, just want to tell you, Pete, this film, when it was released, was rated PG-13 for some violence and action. Interestingly, unlike last time, no scene of sensuality. Okay.
1: Don't worry, there are no scenes of sensuality. It does say,
0: and again, this is this is, you know, the the parents' guide in IMDB. Under sex and nudity, it's listed as mild. And it says many kisses between characters, many romantic scenes, and males are seen shirtless.
1: God, nobody owns
0: a shirt in this movie. This is this is a thirsty little movie here, Pete. All these all these men walking around in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> <with> <laughs> half half dressed. <laughs> okay where are we where are we gonna start
1: this is my a principal question for you so last time we did this uh twilight you didn't have a problem with the romance right you you thought and i it made me want to rip my skin off whenever bella and edward were talking to each other i hated it what did you think about this time
0: Uh, it was a big flip-flop here and and you know i should just to clarify i mean it wasn't like it was well written last time, but in context of what the film was doing, it had kind of this campy element to the romance that I'm like, okay, I can buy into this. My problem with the script last time is that the villains, the the three, the trio of vampire villains that end up kind of building to the final conclusion, felt incredibly shoehorned into the story. Like they were just never a part of the story, and then until the end, when we needed a a you know a climax, and that's that's what really drove me nuts with that first film. In this film, the romance is what drives me incredibly bonkers, because it's very, very frustrating. Uh, And the vampire element is like, okay, now they've figured out what they're going to do with this vampire stuff, and now I'm kind of into it. And I enjoy the vampire elements quite a bit. And when I say the romance is what drives me nuts... It almost all falls on Kristen Stewart's shoulders as she's like screaming at the top of her lungs in her sleep at the incredible pain she has at the loss of Edward. So I, I don't even know what to say, but it was just so ridiculous. So that's that's where I came in with this one.
1: I think the first hour of this movie is the sloggiest of slog of movies that I've seen in a long time. Like it just goes nowhere. It's all like that that just sort of bringing up the the uh so sort of trying to set up in the most inefficient way possible the love triangle that will be between Edward and Bella and and Jacob. And I hate it. I hate it so much. But it's all still the relationship stuff that I didn't I it's just so poorly written and so poorly delivered that um I I just don't have the patience for teenage brooding maybe that I used to. Again, I feel like we we might just need to have a, a very large disclaimer. These movies were not made for us, so we're mining, we're mining for gold. We're pan sifting for gold here, and that's a hard job if you don't know anything about panning for gold. It's it's rough stuff. That's what we're doing right now for me. So I struggle with all of that.
0: And to that end, I mean, it's it obviously is still designed for the audience that is is. Um Uh, attracted to it. And obviously they are latching onto it. But I mean, to your point, and I think this is something that we addressed last time with our conversation about twilight is looking at it. And again, this film only came out 13 years ago, but still times continue evolving. And there's an element of being this attached to somebody who has broken up with you that, that starts feeling a little, uh, I don't think it's healthy the way that Stephanie Meyer portrays this attachment that Bella has to Edward and it starts feeling like really like she's not setting a good example for uh, young women who are drawn to somebody who leaves them and because I mean she's she she can't function she's completely uh you know unable to handle anything and to that end all of her friends drop her like I'm like this is like a, a very uh, an unhealthy portrayal of lost romance and just kind of the way that a a young woman or a young man, whoever it is, when somebody uh, dumps you and leaves you, um, you know, that you were really in love with, how to handle it. Nobody is there for her. She doesn't know what to do. And, uh, you know, it just it. I found that to be one of the issues that I really had with it, is that I just don't feel like Stephanie Meyer. And again, she's writing this pulpy romance sort of thing, but still in context of something that, you know, young people are reading, I just, I feel that it is not a great portrayal of healthy
1: relationship or a healthy breakup. I would just amplify that. There are a number of sequences and, and pairings in this movie that are incredibly trumb- troublesome around partner abuse. That, like, there are pieces where... um Edward or and or Jacob are literally saying to her, "If I, you got to get away from me, because I might bite you or hurt you." And she says, "I don't care. I'm I'm here. I'm here for you because codependence." And he says, "Okay, but then if I bite you or hurt you, it's your fault. Like you're asking for it, and I just can't control my rage." And then we have an entire character, Emily, who is an abuse survivor and she is there making muffins for the rest of the abusers (laughs) in this like cult of wolves. And I could not like, I couldn't wrap my hand around what I was, my head around what I was seeing. Like this was sold as like action drama, romance for teens. And I I feel like the message is just wrong throughout, just wrong. So didn't care for that.
0: There's a lot of, struggle with all of that the fact that she sticks around and um, the the references it has to kind of uh, being there for somebody who is your abuser and it's interesting because when you look at the fact that this series inspired the Fifty Shades of Grey books as kind of fanfic to kind of come off of it you can yeah. see that you can see why somebody yeah. who's you know, looking at this sort of relationship, all of a sudden it's just like, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to write a whole thing about that. Yeah, uh, And so, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Really struggle with
0: that. Just as a follow-up, uh, I did find a note from Stephanie Meyer talking about the title New Moon because, I, you know, a new moon means no moon, right? It's We don't see the moon at all. And she said, as it reflected the mood of the sequel, she titled it New Moon, quote, the darkest kind of night, a night with no moon end quote, to refer to the darkest period of Bella's life. So that is where we are right now, the darkest period of Bella's life.
1: So Stephanie Meyer didn't even understand the werewolf connection to moons. She forgot it. Well, to be fair, like everything else, like the lore in this thing is all changed, right? We have sprinkly, shiny Christmas ornament vampires, and now we have werewolves who just change when they get mad uh, or by choice. Uh, Or when they're hunting vampires. But they have nothing to do with moons. And also, they're not really werewolves. They're wolves. They're dire wolves. And I guess I've always imagined that if you're a werewolf, there is a cross between sort of the humanity and the, like, you're a monster. You're a a mashup. You're a mashup of man-wolf. And in this one, they just turn into wolves.
0: Well, so do a lot of werewolves in various stories. I mean, it really kind of just depends on the the nature of the werewolf story that you're looking at you know i mean it's i mean if you're thinking of like the wolf man sure but i mean i think there are versions where it, it, it they just kind of become a wolf yeah. creature you know and
1: well creature that's the important point
0: yeah but i i mean these are massive so i mean there, there's something to that i don't know where they're getting all the extra bulk when they transform I mean, they're like monstrous wolves i mean it's ridiculous how large they are
1: not only that, but Andy, did you at once ever consider that that, that they're facing kind of the, the Hulk problem, like the superhero problem, that the woods are littered with shredded jean shorts? He
0: leaps over her, his clothes completely <laughs> tear into pieces. I'm like, okay, so now there's a naked Jacob running or you're out there somewhere who has to get home, too. That's the other thing. I mean, do they just run home as wolves and then transform... Just as they leap through the door
1: or something? They always come in in jean shorts. Like when Bella is rescued in the beginning because of her grieving in the forest, she's rescued by Sam. And Sam finds her as a wolf. We see the eyes and the the smoke coming out of his mouth. And then he picks her up and carries her out of the woods and is once again wearing jean shorts. Magical werewolf jean shorts. Because carrying her out of the woods naked would have been... Less weird, I guess. Well,
0: following up on our previous point,
1: he brings her out
0: to this. There's a search party that her dad, who, of course, is the local uh, sheriff, has put together to find her because she has been gone overnight and everybody's concerned. You know, once again, there's dead bodies popping up because of, uh, you know, wild animals. They keep thinking and. So everyone's concerned about Bella and her safety. And then this half-naked guy walks out of the woods with her, carrying her unconscious to her father, who doesn't say, what the hell are you doing with my daughter? Or anything like that. He says, oh, thank you so much. It's like, dude, I would be pretty skeptical of the situation that had just happened if a half-naked man walked out of the woods carrying my unconscious daughter. I'd be like, what the hell were you just doing with my child? And none of that happens. And again, that's, that's going back to our whole point.
1: Well, it's going back to the whole point because, like, he comes out. He knows Charlie knows Sam. He says, "Thanks, Sam." Like, he uses by name because they're friends. But that's the thing about serial abusers, right? Isn't it? what's the statistic? It's like most of them are people you know, right? So, yeah, that's it's awful.
0: It's it's a strange, uh, strangely put together uh, film, and there are a lot of these moments that um, that I struggle with. But okay, so let's pause. Obviously, Bella is pining for Edward, who has left her now, and the whole family has left town. They've they've hit that point where Carlisle feels they've stayed too long, people are starting to get suspicious, and so they pack up and leave, and Edward shuts off communication. We've got a new, well, a returning element of Bella's narration, this time written as emails to Alice, as she's writing Alice, all these thoughts and everything. Um, And we have a a burgeoning friendship slash relationship between Bella and Jacob, played by Taylor Lautner, uh, who we had met last time, but really he was just kind of there while this relationship began between her and Edward. Now, Edward's out of the picture, Jacob steps in, um where do you want to start do you want to start with the voiceovers do you want to start with jacob where you know, where do you uh want to kick things
1: off well i don't i think the voiceover will let's do let's knock the voiceover out because sure. i think we That's can do quick. that quickly uh one it's terrible two there's no evidence that she ever alice ever receives any of those emails i think she just shows up because <laughs> she had a vision yeah, of exactly. bella jumping into the ocean <laughs> There's, I, I would
0: say there's evidence that she received none of the emails because yeah, yeah, as I right. we keep seeing Bella writing these emails and they keep showing up in her inboxes undeliverable. Yeah. Yes, and so yeah. yeah, so it's she's clearly just doing it so that we have a way to hear her voiceover. That's really all the only reason is there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Stephanie Myers could make a case that she continues to write, at, at, even with the evidence that the emails are bouncing, because she needs it for her own processing, right? That's how she gets through this, the the period <sighs> of grief. I think that's I, I'm just I, I don't necessarily love that argument. But I think that's an argument that could be made.
0: Well, I think that's the argument. But then I think that following up on again on our previous conversation, she shows no sign of working through her grief. Like, it just gets worse and worse. And she's, like, screaming in her sleep. Like, I've never— it, it it's shocking, like the levels that she took the performance and that, that I'm assuming Meyer wrote the character was like at such extreme levels of grief that I just found it like almost unbelievable and kind of painfully so. And I, I wish that Whites had found a way to kind of, you know, maybe we can thin that out a little bit so it's not quite so. Yeah, you're Let's,
1: giving me an 11. I need about a four.
0: Uh, I don't know. It, it was interesting to kind of hear the continuation of the 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 voiceover i just wish that they had found a way to say okay but let's let's thin that out it just it again when you have this much narration that feels so obvious, it ends up hurting a project, and I, I guess that's the problem. And it, again, maybe it's it because it's being really written for that younger audience who likes having the that stuff spelled out a little bit more. But I don't know. I, I just argue that in the long run, it's like that stuff was all there. We didn't need to have that stuff over and over.
1: I, I totally agree, and I I think to the you know we. We might be glossing over when we talk about Edward uh, and their relationship and her grief, glossing over the Romeo and Juliet, very intentional, overt parallel uh, in, in this movie. And that is the thing that actually we'll we'll get to when we talk about Wahoo Aturi and uh, the castle in Italy. So we'll get there. But I, I think so much of that starts here, that their grief is melodrama. Because it's, you know, it it almost feels like she's trying to go Shakespearean, right? She's trying to make this carry the weight of melodrama.
0: Well, okay. And to that point, let's talk about Shakespeare then, because obviously there is a big thread of Shakespeare throughout this. They're reading Romeo and Juliet in school, which, I mean, at the beginning, she's having the dream of all the people in red robes. Conveniently, it's on the cover of the novel of Romeo and Juliet that she's reading, and uh, they she and, and Edward have a whole conversation about that whole end of the story. And he, of course, memorizes, memorizes it and, and yeah. quotes it yeah. in class, blah, blah, blah. But the story, I, I felt like Stephanie Meyer was trying to do something on a Shakespeare level with her romance between these two characters. And I mean, the whole thing with the the lovers and they both try to commit suicide in some fashion, which is. Similar to the book *Romeo and Juliet*, where they do commit suicide. Well, yeah, and so it's that's a very much a nature of the teen love in the book. And so I can, I, I was like, okay, well, she was trying to do something. I don't think she necessarily did a great job with it, but it is there, I guess.
1: She's in a crazy state, right? We know she's a crazy state, but she's a kid, right? She's 18. And we know the Romeo and Juliet parallel is, you know, largely accurate, right? We think that Romeo was probably, what, 17, 18, and Juliet was 13 in the, the story, the narrative of the original. Uh, so there's a big age difference. But the fact that Edward, right before he completely ghosts her, is that where this comes from? Because he leaves and then becomes kind of a ghost? Weird. Um, <laughs> he ghosts you know, her. That's true. He, He's 109 and asks this 18-year-old not to do anything reckless. A 109-year-old breaking up with an 18-year-old? Yeah, that's a totally reasonable expectation. At no point does the movie ever become self-aware enough to acknowledge that he is still a stalker. He's still going through his stuff. And now he's like ripping photos right out of her scrapbook. And then he has no awareness that he is a hundred years older than she is. And that's not an issue. I guess vampires don't even think about that because they just never age. Maybe that's the story. That is perpetually an issue in vampire
0: films where the character is often portrayed at the age that they died at even though they're generally a much older wiser person and you know it's inevitable that edward will be thought of as a a teenager because he looks like a teenager but in reality yeah he's he's a very old man and uh, so yeah it, it does create kind of a strange situation
1: And, you know, in this, like, was it this one or the last one? Like, he was, we we find out that he was actually, of all of the vampires, he was the second, right? He was, Carlisle made him a vampire of the family first, right? I think so, because then I thought it was his wife. Then it was his wife. His wife is, as a vampire, younger than Edward is. It's hard to look at that story and not imagine, as we get toward the end of this of this movie, which we'll certainly talk about, that he isn't grooming her a little bit. Like, mistakes I've made making a, making children vampires in the past, I'm not going to do that anymore. If I'm going to spend a lot of time with you, I'd like to do it with you as an adult. <laughs> so I'm not going to change you until you're an adult.
0: All of that is to say he's in the story, but not much. Like, all of this stuff happens fairly early on, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff and everything. And then he's – because of this accident at their house, they come over for her birthday celebration, and they're giving her presents, and she gets a paper cut. And, uh, you know, Stary McPainface can't (laughs) hold himself back and charges her. And, of course, Edward hurls her backward. in surely what would be an accident that would, you know – incredibly injure somebody i mean granted it does shatter a vase on her arm which makes even more blood and of course that everybody wants to eat her even alice who says i can't help you and except for carlisle who is the one sane person who's learned how to control himself and he takes her and heals her and that's kind of the point where the family's like, we got to leave. Edward's like, I can't do this anymore, and they disappear. and And from that point forward, they're gone out of the story, except Edward, who pops in as you kind of alluded to. This kind of ghost figure, who's it's almost like a Jiminy Cricket sort of thing. Like it's it's a strange way for a boyfriend to appear, and so she's doing these very reckless things just to get his ghost presence to appear and reprimand her, I guess, is kind of the way that I read it. Like, how, how could you do that? Don't do that.
1: Keep, stay safe. I, I have a question about this. Alice is the one that can that can read the thoughts and, stuff and see visions, right? She the see the future. Edward is based on the lore set up in the last movie, completely impervious to, to her. Like, he can't read her thoughts at all, right? That's, that was the gambit. Each vampire seems to have their own power. That's another
0: thing. They're all superheroes, also because Edward can read minds, Alice can see the future, and I can't remember who else we've learned from the family. Except then we find out at the Volturi that a little Dakota Fanning can cause pain.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, well, can't can't what's his name Mc McPainface? He can do something about like emotional regulation or something. Oh, they made right. a comment about that in the hallway. Yes. I don't understand right. what that power is, but, but again, he can no he
0: can make her do it. So yeah. he is one of the few, if not the only one, who can affect somebody's emotions because he um, somehow manipulated her emotions to feel extra lovey-dovey or something. I can't remember exactly, but there was that moment. You're right.
1: That was a weird scene. But what we have in this sequence is Edward somehow... Well, the question I guess I have is, is Edward communicating with her somehow, which seems like it would be impossible because of the rules set up by the Afangers as the Cullens. But is he communicating with her or is she just seeing visions of what he would say if he were there?
0: It seemed to me the way that it's played in the film. I read it like he's he still is watching her from afar. And reacting to the things that she's doing, but maybe that's just, maybe I'm reading it incorrectly, because now that I think about it, he he hadn't seen any of that stuff that she had done. He only thought that she had killed herself because of Alice's vision, right? hmm Okay, so then, yeah, so then maybe they are just in, in her head.
1: Well, Alice didn't tell Edward, right? It was because of the phone call. That was the big Romeo and Juliet twist that 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 Jacob answered the phone and said, oh, Charlie's preparing for a funeral. And Edward assumed it was for Bella jumping off the cliff.
0: But that's because Alice had told him. Oh, right. right, right. So that's he how he knew there check. was. a Yeah. So right. he called the okay. check. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So all of that stuff then. Yeah. So I think that we just answered that. So it's all in her head. For some reason, I'm I'm not exactly sure why she's seeing those visions of him.
1: Yeah, because if he's watching her, then there has to be some sort of two way thing going on. Like she has to be sending some like, oh, now I'm jumping off a cliff. But he didn't see that because Alice had to tell her. But did did she say, okay, now I'm recklessly riding a motorcycle? Well, in the book, uh, you know, this was a change that was
0: made. It was just his voice in her head. And I don't know if that would have been any better. They just decided to make it visual. But it it just, either way, it weirdly makes it seem like there is this psychic connection, which then later they pretty much dismiss. No, there isn't a psychic connection. (laughs) So I guess it is just, I guess it has to just be her picturing him trying to protect her. Yeah, But it's weird because she keeps doing it because for her, it's the only way to kind of have those moments with him anymore.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I feel I feel resolved on that and I feel like I need to get to the central question that I've had for you since I started watching this movie, which is that I need you to suspend all disbelief as a nearly 50-year-old white man. I need you to tell me in all sincerity, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob?
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I this is
0: this is probably the the right film to ask Fairly, before things get a little more complicated, because in the first film, we had Bella hanging out and falling for Edward, and now he's gone, and now we get Bella hanging out and falling for Jacob. This is really Taylor Lautner's chance to kind of shine and become the actor the world has been waiting for him to become, as we get to watch him become Jacob Black and really turn into this love interest uh, for Bella, who would help her as a friend get through all the pain and do all the same stuff Edward did in the first film, uh, kind of gaslighting her and and pushing her away and, you know, all of that same stuff, only to then reveal, hey, I'm also a super creature and uh, check me out. And then that it seems to turn her on even more and and you know they're uh you know they kind of go for each other so i they're they're both such bad (laughs) examples of somebody someone should date it's a very frustrating question and it's interesting because i feel like the team edward or team jacob thing came up because a lot of women were just like oh who's more smoldering who's more hot you know who's better with a shirt off jacob certainly is more buff and because the werewolves all clearly are working out a lot and vampires uh you know (laughs) are all pale pale scrawny creatures so i don't know i mean i guess between the two i would probably just go edward but maybe that's just because robert pattinson's a better actor
1: no, Which, I don't think it is. Really and I'm, I am, I'm also team Edward. And it's because, like, what we find is where I get the, and the book, the way I understand it is the book paints, uh, this as a massive, like, transformation for Jacob. And between the two movies, we get that transformation that he goes from kind of the little guy to this, you know, massive buff, like, heartthrob. And that's, That is intentional to the point where throughout the movie, as I understand it, they tailored all of his T-shirts to be smaller from scene to scene to make him look more buff like he and put lifts in his shoes so he would be much taller than Bella at any given moment. And so I think they did a good job of portraying him in that transformation. And in the beginning with the montage of motorcycles and so boring. Oh, God, it was so boring, Andy. But. He was painted as the nice guy, like he was the sweet alternative to brooding Edward. And yet his transformation led to what we discover is he's part of this group of <laughs> serial abusers and bad guys, even though they have good intentions on the outside. Like that doesn't make it right. I think I am 100 percent team Edward on this. Yeah. No, I'm 17 again. And I'm team Edward. <laughs> OK.
0: There we are. There you have it, folks.
1: Also, because I would what like, would you cho- I guess the other side of this is if you had to choose one of these curses to live with werewolf or vampire, which would you choose? If you have to live with it where you aren't becoming
0: one of them, I mean, the, at least in the vampire world of things, you could become one to officially join them in the werewolf one. You're kind of like Sam's wife, who is just like. I'm going to be with you, but uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm not around you when you get angry because you're going to slash my face. And and never have a chance to actually become one. And, and the interesting thing is, like, you know, in the lore, like, even all of these people in the Quillute tribe, they're not all werewolves. It's just something that is kind of— They have
1: to have the gene. It's
0: just Yeah, it's a gene that's kind of passed, and it seems to be sporadic. Like, I think we only really see four? Is that right? It's like Sam— Jacob, and then is it like Quill and Embry? Is that it? Maybe Paul also. Yeah, I think there's four plus plus. Then Jacob becomes plus one, so. Jacob, right? And so it's not a lot. So yeah, I I, I guess I'd feel safer with the vampires. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would absolutely choose vampire. I mean, a hundred percent, anytime. I right? between vampire and werewolf because. I think the mindlessness of the werewolf, like according to the lore, would be a that would be very frustrating. I don't like the idea of waking up and not knowing where I am, naked in well, I guess in only jean shorts, uh, in the woods. Well, that's if you are one. Otherwise, you don't want, like the idea of waking up
0: to your partner deciding, "Hey, you know what? I just woke up and I'm angry and I'm hungry and I'm just going to eat I, you because my brain doesn't dream. function <laughs> like a yeah. My brain doesn't <laughs> function when I transform, and that is the danger of the werewolves.
1: Right, right. I can get with that. But
0: I do like the, like, this is one thing that I I did enjoy with the film, is that, okay, Jacob is the only person who seems to realize she needs something. And, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like, it was crazy, like, when she goes out with um, uh, Anna Kendrick's character, and she, I mean, again, yes, Bella makes a really stupid decision to go out on the motorbikes, whatever, but still, Anna Kendrick, I'm like, She's not really a good friend who's there for her friend in her time of need, you know. And so that was really frustrating with the friends in the film. I was glad to at least see, okay, at least Jacob is there. And so I enjoyed the building friendship that we had between Jacob and Bella. And of course, then it goes into all the nonsense with the werewolves and all that sort of stuff. But I was like, okay, at least they're doing something there for her.
1: Well, okay, so we need to come to terms with the whole relationship bit, because the way The way I heard you paint it was that all of her friends dumped her, but it didn't feel necessarily like they dumped her. It felt to me like she uh, she like disappeared for a while. And when she came back to the table and everybody said, Bella's back, Bella's back. Everybody except Anna Kendrick seemed to to really be kind of authentically nice (laughs) to to her. Surprise. To the
0: point point where um, Anna Kendrick's, uh, I guess, (laughs) ex-boyfriend asked Bella
1: out. Yes, which I thought was great. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I have some thoughts. But the I think she was the one. Like she would don't forget the like sitting in a chair montage with the camera just going around her like what were her friends doing? They were living their damn lives. Like she disappeared. Here's the thing though that
0: we don't see in the film. When a friend of yours disappears because somebody has broken up or like somebody broke up with them, you go to them and and, and the film does not show Anybody reaching out to her, they show us Bella sitting by herself, isolating herself, sitting you know, at another table away from her friends. We never see any of the friends get up and say, hey, you know what? I you're, You look like you're having a hard time. Can we talk? Trying to be there for her. And and so that's what I mean. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not saying that Bella isn't pulling away. I'm just saying we're not seeing what friends should do in, in a time like this when a friend does pull away. I get that.
1: Yeah. She, she, and, and th- frankly, she should not have called Anna Kendrick's friend character to go out with her to a movie. She could have. <laughs> she should have called like Glasses McPhotographer Face. Like she that that girl seemed nice. Like she she seemed like she would have done a movie. And, and then she did. She ended up like. <laughs> what is it with this movie? I, there were two. They name dropped two movies, and only one of them is stuck with me. Face Punch. <laughs> And the other one oh love is love love spelled backwards is love Yeah That was the other one Like those are the worst Those are the worst <laughs> They are the worst like that to me things.
0: is and you know not not to judge but knowing that Stephanie Meyer comes from like the the Mormon background painting just kind of a straight up like over the top action movie with a title called Face Punch felt like something that people would say to kind of judge the the way that those movies are portrayed.
1: But it also that to that very point, you know, with the LDS background like that, writing friends so poorly is wildly out of character to my ear on this one, because there is no way Bella would have been sitting for 15 hot seconds alone at a table in a time of grief. There would have been casseroles and like warm jackets like and people around her in a heartbeat, yeah. Just saying. So that's weird. Okay. So face punch. They go to the theater. She because Jessica goes her the gr- all the girls are busy. So she ends up with Mike and Jacob, and that is where we are introduced to the infamous Pufo. You know what Pufo is, don't you? <laughs> oh, so Please tell me. Palm up, fingers out. <laughs> 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 Sitting in the movie, each of the guys have their arms on the armrest with their palm up, fingers out, hoping for the accidental handhold of Bella Uh. in between them. It was so cringy. And I told this is one scene where, to me, it felt it was terrible. It was hard to watch. But I can also absolutely see how it belongs in this movie for this target audience.
0: Well, okay, yes, I agree. but. Shortly afterward, as soon as Mike has to leave the theater because he cannot handle the intense action and wants to throw up. So he runs out of the theater to go to the bathroom. And so Bella and Jacob walk out, too. And Jacob takes her hand and is holding it. So It's like that was the thing that for me was like, oh, okay so he's he was like kind of that hopeful. Maybe she's going to hold my hand. And then he just decides to take it. And then they actually have a conversation about that. So clearly. So that was I don't know between like those two scenes happens like back to back. So it was a little strange to me that that he went from I hope, I hope, I hope to "Ah, screw it. I'm just going to do it.
1: He was going through right at that moment. He was going through wolf puberty because at that point he hadn't changed yet. Right. And then he got mad at Mike. That is the moment where suddenly his hormones go crazy. So
0: maybe that is a sign. Okay, okay, I can buy this. Maybe that's a sign. This is this point in the movie. His hormones are getting excited because he's sitting next to a woman
1: that he really likes. And and then he's threatened because of the uh, other suitor. And his and then he gets he catches mono immediately and has to run away. And that's that's what happens. All right. I mean, I could buy, I I could buy all of that, and then she is friend zoned. Uh, not even friend zoned. She's just full on ghosted and wolfed by both Edward and Jacob at this point. Nobody wants to see her because they're so worried about hurting her somehow. And in the process of hurting her, we introduce about an hour and six minutes into the movie or so, we introduce some action plot where. Laurent shows up in the baseball field. I assume that was the baseball field. Was it that was. Yeah, because she
0: she went back to the baseball field because this is that point where nobody wants to hang out with her. So she's visiting all the spots again where those those great moments had happened. And she goes to the baseball field and Laurent shows up and wants to eat her again.
1: Yes, wants to eat her again. And now I'm I'm back into the movie. I like it when people start wanting to eat each other.
0: This starts working better for me because I felt like we hit this point where Stephanie Meyer realized she needed to build a bigger world. You can't just have these villains kind of show up halfway through the movie and suddenly become the threat for the end of it. Granted, it's exactly what happens again in this film, but <laughs> but now she's actually doing something more with it. And so now we've got, okay, so Laurent is a threat. The werewolves save her. And we start learning this story about this whole thing where she tries to commit suicide. Well, she doesn't try committing suicide, as she says. She jumps off a cliff into the water because she wants Edward to see her again. She wants to have that whatever sort of psychic connection. Jacob saves her without realizing it. Nobody realizes that they actually save her from Victoria, who happens to also be swimming, uh, which is kind of funny. And then because of that, that's where we set up Edward thinks that she killed herself, so wants to now go to the Volturi over in Italy in this fantastic castle that Michael Sheen and all his buddies have and get them to agree that he should end his life because this is the whole Romeo and Juliet thing. And so, yeah, so now we're getting into more story. We're getting Laurent. We're getting Victoria. We're getting the Volturi. And the story kind of shifts, and we get get things that are bigger and more fanciful.
1: Sort of gets to a question we had last time, which was about the lore. Uh, Are most vampires nomadic, or do they settle down like the Cullens? Now we're going to a castle of vampire royalty. It seems like they're very settled. Um, So we're introduced to this this bit of sophistication. It feels um, very—it just feels like more substantial— uh, in, in terms of building the the hierarchy and and the culture of the vampires, and I like that stuff. I like it. I was a big fan of Lestat. Like, talk about romance novel, vampire romance novels. I read the hell out of that book. Uh, Interview with the Vampire and the Vampire Lestat. Like, I thought uh, I, I thought those were really fun, and they were just as campy and and just written for older people.
0: And need we? Remind our listeners that we covered the entire underworld franchise.
1: Yeah, right. Which it's also like we're not <laughs>
0: vampire royalty, <laughs> werewolves,
1: all that. Stuff. Yeah, it's a really good point. That's a, that's why this all feels like home territory to me. Like we we've, we've been here before. It's okay. I like this stuff. Did I like the fact that? Well, I you know the Edward wants to kill himself by exposing himself, and I mean literally opening his shirt in public and showing off his inner shiny. Uh, To the public and then getting his arms and head ripped off by vampires like did I love that I'm not sure I loved that I don't think
0: that was what he wanted. From the vampires, I, I think the fact that Arrow Michael Sheen's character says no is the reason that he decides to go that route as opposed to what were they going to do otherwise? just rip his head and arms off well, right, but they and, and burn him, but they weren't yeah. it didn't involve him exposing himself to the public, which was right the,
1: the big sin right. for a vampire to do right that vampire. was the big vampire sin that was, that was sort of set up. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know. Did it work for you? It all felt a little bit flimsy, but I like so much Michael Sheen and all three of these. And uh, what's her name? Uh, was that a fanning? Dakota Fanning. Uh, it was one of the young fannings. Like, I just really enjoy the look and the move and the sophistication of these vampires. And the I thought all of that just, just sort of worked for me. I, I like the, but I've already told you, I'm Team Vampire. I don't want to be running around camping in the woods. <laughs> it- I want a castle. what stephanie meyer
0: and then the filmmakers are doing is they are starting to set things up for a bigger world and and i like that i like that we're now getting okay so because we had a hint of something in the last film about oh we're going to be judged if we keep a human as a friend or whatever and so here we see what that meant like oh there's this group the volturi they actually are kind of the the government for the vampires you know the leadership and we have to follow their rules and so that's kind of an interesting thing that's getting set up here now do i buy that they have this elaborate castle in this little town in italy and that they walk tourists through apparently on a regular basis uh to just eat them all like i'm like that seems like a large group of tourists to be disappearing regularly <laughs> for them
1: to do which that was amazing that was amazing how fast that scene happened. Yeah. Like right, we're, right. we need to, we need to communicate something really fast right now. So here's 30 people in a hallway and then they start screaming. Yeah. as Yeah.
0: The Volturi uh, are an interesting group. And I like, you know, we've got Michael Sheen, we've got uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer and Christopher Heyerdahl as the three elders who are kind of this group that are kind of leading things, making these decisions. And that's when we get this decision about Bella because Dakota Fanning, Tries her powers on her of this pain because she does it to Edward, but Bella doesn't react. And so now we've introduced this sense of the Volturi are finding Bella to be a very compelling uh, human to keep their eyes on which is interesting you've got the werewolf clan uh you know that are part of this uh this native american tribe up in the pacific northwest who also i suppose are trying to protect her in some way because of jacob's connection to her and then at the end you get this moment where it where it inevitably was going to have to build in a romance that you know it's written by uh, a mormon person and It's very important before anything happens that they get married. And so at the end of the film, of course, you have Edward asking Bella to marry her. You know, I will say, though, okay, so that's the story. Chris Weitz directed this and you brought up the moment where she's sitting in the chair and the camera's spinning around her. There were some moments in the film that I'm like, okay, Chris Weitz is doing some interesting moments with his direction here, like where he had that little montage of months passing as we're just watching Bella sitting in the chair. There were also some clever edits that I caught where um, as something is happening, the camera follows an actor over to one side of the screen. And when the actor comes back to the other side of the screen, things have changed and we're now in a new scene. Like he was really trying to play with time in the way that he was crafting the story. Did you like the way that Weitz was
1: uh, kind of playing with that in, in his direction? I did, and how quickly they got us from the United States to Italy, right? the The airplane shot. The plane takes off. They follow the plane over, and then it lands, <laughs> and then they're in Italy. I thought those those kinds of things were really great. Uh, I really liked it. There are things I like in this movie. That's that's very true. And the way he uh, played with stuff, I think generally played with his cuts and played with the the camera. I thought was was nice. Um, I also think the effects were a level up over the last movie. I think, and I I just. Because we anchored on it, and how silly it looked in the baseball scene in the first movie, running on wires, yeah, cl- tree climbing, and tree climbing. In this one, Jacob is set up to run on wires the very same way, and he's he's running down the hill and jumps and is turned into the werewolf, and that was the exact same wire setup for him. So it would look like he's running much more quickly and and powerfully than a than a normal boy, and uh, and and I thought that was particularly cool like i i think it looked real like some of that stuff looked looked much more real to me to the point where you know now they would screw the wires and just make the uh, cg actor run i think but um but i I actually thought that was good the transformations all looked good and fun to me i you know it's not like if i were looking at it um would i not know that those were cg wolves but they looked real enough that i was in it for the wolves uh none of that actually gave me pause. The fights, uh, the the wire scenes in the the fights in the uh, uh, in the the castle at the end, I thought were really good. I like the big broody guy at, at the end. He was, it, the, uh, you know, smashing, smashing marble and destroying this castle. Like, come on, guys, that's going to take <laughs> you know centuries to rebuild. Um, I, I thought all of that was was really quite good visually. I think the movie worked for me. I, I I also think, you know, Weitz was able to evolve the look of the film in, in a way that, you know, was anchored in the original film, but not quite so gray.
0: My sense, especially when she starts hanging out with Jacob, that it really turns into a lot of earth tones. And it feels like it, the, the nature is really emphasized. And I felt like the green, like in the forest and stuff, were just lush. Like it really looked... Much much healthier, less less gloomy and rainy. Like it just it felt like that was a sign of kind of the werewolf side of the story. Is that it's kind of more connected to the earth, and so it felt the color tone felt a little more alive on that front. And then you get to the end, and things really pop because of the reds and the, the, the whole Italy side of things. So yeah. I felt I, I it wasn't really explored in the last one because the werewolf story really wasn't there but the vampire story definitely kept it gloomier and grayer and now i think we're getting getting it'll be interesting to see as things go like does does the vampire stuff stay kind of that gloomy blue gray the werewolf stuff kind of the greenish browns and then the volturi stuff kind of the the reds i'll be curious to see how they continue with that
1: yeah me too for sure
0: one thing that did change along with the director is the composer. Now it's Alexandra Desplat who composed the, the music for this film. And, but what I like about this, and this is something that really frustrated me with the Harry Potter films, is that the composers there didn't necessarily feel the need to kind of continue the themes that had been explored other than Hedwig, Hedwig's theme, which is always there. But I felt like Displot took what Carter Burwell had done with the first film and continued it and evolved it in some really nice ways. I just love the score
1: for this film. It's just, it's just the music is just beautiful. Yeah. I thought so too. I, I absolutely agree with the music at the, the, just the the entire soundscape, the soundtrack, the songs that they were listening to felt, you know, I, honestly, they felt very Pacific Northwest, uh, and and so I I really liked that um, uh, that general tone. The location has changed uh, for Forks; they're now in Canada, uh, in addition to Mont. Um, multi- Tepulziano, Siena, Tuscany, for the final scene. But they've moved Forks to BC, uh, Vancouver Island, and a lot of the location stuff that they had done in and around Portland, around um, my fair city. You know, they they actually took the the plates of the school here and just CG'd it and green screened it onto a building in uh, in Canada uh, for continuity's sake. I, you know, I didn't have any questions about the town. I know that many of the buildings, if you watch, for you know, side by side, cut by cut, it is a different town, but I didn't notice it. It didn't, I didn't find it jarring at all.
0: It doesn't feel like, uh, again, going back to the Harry Potter films, where Hogwarts feels like a completely different place in every film. like <laughs> Every single film. It's constantly, constantly changing. Well, and that's, you know, we didn't bring that up, but the last film, you know, is a lower budget than this one. And they chose to shoot in Portland after, I mean, they initially were going to film in Vancouver, but because of the way that world economies fluctuate the US dollar actually was below the Canadian dollar at that point in time and so they said oh well let's just stay in the us then and film in in Portland now by the time this film was getting made of course that had all shifted and so it was cheaper to film in Canada so they went back there
1: well and it was fine I like Canada I'm a big I'm a big uh, Canada head because we're spending so
0: little time in places that were as familiar like it's mostly her house and then it's a lot like a jacob's area. and so i didn't i didn't run into any situation feeling like oh we have completely we're faking all this now. so that didn't bug me. and especially i mean it worked in context of the story cuz we really aren't spending much time with edward by this point.
1: right. it doesn't no, none of that matters. and and i think even in the in the next film is is the film where that really becomes a concern cuz they go to a city with some iconic places right? don't they go to seattle or something? I don't remember. I guess
0: we'll find out next week.
1: All right. We'll cover that. I was wondering, I just have one last thing and it's about Edward and his emotional growth. In the last movie, they pass the piece of art on the, on the wall and it's full of, of graduation caps uh, over the years because Edward spends all his time graduating from high school. And I wonder if that's because that's why he's kind of an emotional idiot. Like is it, is it just because he's only hanging around mostly with high school students? All the time.
0: It's funny because he's an
1: age where he could also look
0: like a really young looking college student. So he could have continued his education
1: a little bit. Yeah, right. He could have (laughs) gone to college. It would have been fine. Maybe he did. Maybe
0: he has several uh, master's degrees. Who knows? But he's realized, you know, this learning stuff is just too hard. Can I just stick in the high school now? Because it's just easier to get through
1: right and what is he? i mean he probably he doesn't look like a freshman you think he just transfers in as a junior does two years and then they leave
0: it seemed like they were here for longer than that because carlisle is the one who said he's the one people were starting to notice
1: i did make that note blaming it on carlisle that he's the one they're supposed to notice that notice like has he not met paul rudd come on like carlisle could get away with it i would have much more of a question about all of the younger vampires Yeah, yeah so yeah
0: yeah they should easily have gone off to college
1: yeah All right. right. I guess I'm done.
0: All right. Well, we will be right back. But first, our credits. Okay.
1: The next reel is a production of True Story FM Engineering by Indy Nelson, music by John Lingard, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. All right, Andy, how did do at award season? It uh, did well for itself.
0: 20 wins with 24 other nominations. It uh, was nominated for Best Horror Film at the Saturn Awards, but lost to Drag Me to Hell, which absolutely is the better film. and Because it's uh, a
1: horror <laughs> film, Andy.
0: <laughs> and Taylor Lautner was nominated for Best Performance by a Younger Actor, but lost to Saoirse Ronan for The Lovely Bones. At the MTV Movie and TV Awards, it won Best Movie, Best Male Performance by Pattinson, which is funny because he's hardly in it. And Best Female Performance by Kristen Stewart, along with, of course, Best Kiss. Taylor Lautner, who arguably had more screen time, was nominated for Best Male Performer, but lost to Pattinson. At the Teen Tourist Awards, it won Best Choice Movie Lip Lock, Best Villain for uh, Rochelle Lefevre, Best Chemistry for The Trio, Best Actress in a Fantasy, Best Male Scene Stiller for Kellen Lutz, interestingly. Best Female Scene Stiller for Ashley Green, Best Movie Fantasy and Best Actor in a Fantasy Taylor Lautner Dakota Fanning was nominated for a Female Scene Stiller along with Anna Kendrick but they both lost to Ashley Green and Pattinson was nominated for Best Movie Actor in a Fantasy but lost to Taylor Lautner and this is where the Razzies rear their ugly heads. The film was nominated for Worst Screen Couple. This is how they wrote it. Kristen Stewart and either Robert Pattinson or Taylor What's-His-Fang <laughs> <laughs> And it lost to All About Steve for Sandra Bullock and, and uh, Bradley Cooper. Interestingly, that is the one where Sandra Bullock showed up at the Razzies accepting her award the same year she also won for The Blind Side. Uh, Robert Pattinson was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor but lost to Billy Ray Cyrus in Hannah Montana the movie. <laughs> the film was nominated for Worst Remake ripoff or Sequel but lost to Land of the Lost, which... I will say, is the better choice in this case. Oh, my gosh. And it was nominated for Worst Screenplay, but lost to Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. So there you go.
1: All right. How to do it at the box office.
0: The success of the first film meant White's had a bump in the budget for this film, $50 million or $59.5 million in today's dollars. The movie opened again Thanksgiving week here in the States, November 20th, 2009, opposite the blind side, there it is, Planet 51, Ninja Assassin, and Old Dogs. The film took the number one spot for two weeks and then, interestingly like the last one, stayed in the top ten for five weeks. Another big success, this film went on to earn $298 million domestically and $413 million internationally for a total gross of $846 million in today's dollars that's not quite double what the first film did and it leaves the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of six million dollars with the additional benefit of being the film in the franchise that did the best with its profit to cost ratio earning back more than 14 times its budget so you're saying
1: it's all downhill from here (laughs) that's good i need to know that that's important information (laughs) as i watch the next movie all right well I got to tell you, I'm still glad we talked about this movie. I'm still glad we're doing Twilight. How about that? I'm I'm looking forward to watching the next one. It's just not great, but it's fine. It's vampires and werewolves.
0: It's interesting. This is an interesting comparison series to our Underworld series, which also is entertaining to watch. They're just not necessarily great films. And I think that's kind of where I'm landing with this. And the romance is the the harder part to get through. But you know what? There's an interesting world here. I am curious also to see where things are going to go.
1: The thing is, Andy, I think the Underworld movies were, in fact, made for us. I don't think these were. <laughs> Every
0: Everyone has its own audience, right? So this is that one's ours. All right. We'll be right back uh, for our ratings. But first... Here's the trailer for next week's movie, David Slade's The Twilight Saga Eclipse.
1: Jacob, what are you doing?
0: I'm here to warn you. you She's leave now. She has a right to know. What? We've been tracking the situation in Seattle for a while. Unexplained disappearances. Killings creating an army
1: an army of vampires they're coming here this means an ugly fight with lives lost we're in as long as we get to kill some vampires Yes it is. You know how much we love Letterboxd. Letterbox is our favorite social media network for movie lovers. You can track your watches, your reviews if you want to. You can read other people's reviews of your favorite movies and like them and love them and star them and all kinds of likes and stars and hearts for movies. But we love Letterbox the most. You can find me at letterbox.com slash Pete Wright and Andy's over there at letterbox.com slash Soda Creek Film. And we are on Letterboxd at letterbox.com slash The Next Reel. Make sure to get over there and follow us. And if you fall in love with Letterbox, like, we we have all you need to do is use the discount code next reel at checkout. You can upgrade to a patron or pro membership and you'll get 20% off. This works for renewals as well. Andy, what are you going to do for your review? Last week, I think we both landed on two stars and a heart for Twilight.
0: This one, I am going to go down to one and a half. I, I feel like I have more issues with it, even though. I, I still am going to give it a heart because it still is entertaining in a kind of a terrible way. So one and a half with a heart.
1: I think you and I are uh, probably of the same mind, and it's going to manifest differently because my uh, rules, no half stars. Oh, I right. am going to go stick with two stars. But in order to capture that same je ne sais quoi that you talk about, I'm not going to give it a heart. It's two oh, stars, okay. no heart. Uh, with your one and a half star with a heart. All
0: right. Well, that's going to give it one and three quarters as an average between the two of us, which will round up to a two and a heart over on Letterboxd. As Pete said, don't forget to visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd to get your patron or pro membership, and it works for renewals as well. So what did you think about the Twilight Saga, New Moon? We would love to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in a Discord community where we'll be talking about it this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins.
1: Letterboxd giveth, Andy. As Letterboxd always doeth. Unprecedented. You have assigned me a Letterbox <laughs> review. I have not even read it yet. I have it up on my screen. I'm not looking at it. See? I'm staring longingly into the middle distance, like Edward. Uh, would you, do you think I should go first, or should you go first? Why don't you take it first? Okay. This is One Star by Shay. Yeah, Bella might have been in love with both Edward and Jacob, but who was she emailing the entire time about how her life was going despite of not getting a response? Alice, who gifted Bella her dress for her birthday? Alice, who's always out there to support Bella? Alice, who stormed to Bella's house after she went cliff jumping, cliff jumping because she thought Bella was going to kill herself? Alice. Uh-huh. That is very telling.
0: Right. Well, and I've got a two-star by Owen who says, why was Bella so torn between Edward and Jacob when Alice was literally right there? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you know, I Do would you... imagine in the world of fanfic, there's probably a whole thread oh, of Bella, Bella. Alice.
1: <laughs> is it, yeah, it Alla or Bellis? Is oh, that their ship name? Neither of those. Neither oh, come those. on. That just, then you come up work. with one.
0: That didn't work at all. <laughs> Isabelus? Do you say Jacob? Or
1: or, or, or Beckham? It's definitely Beckham. Beckham. Bedward? Bedward! Bedward. Bedward. <laughs> Edna? Oh, God, now we're just making up Spongebob characters. Terrible, <laughs> terrible. Oh, thanks, Letterboxd.